Welcome to Global Questions by YDS, the podcast breaking down global politics for young people who want to know more. I'm your host, Jen Marcocci. For today's bonus episode, I'm joined with former Prime Minister, the Honourable Kevin Rudd. But part of the challenge here is to blast out of the way this corrupt media monopoly, which is corrupting Australian politics and not providing a fair go for all sides. After stepping down from political life, Mr Rudd has become vocal about diversity in Australia's media landscape. Today we are discussing the monopoly that is the Murdoch Empire, the News Media Bargaining Code and the Royal Commission Petition. Now for some background on the topic. This year, the ACCC developed a mandatory code of conduct to address bargaining power imbalances between news media businesses and the tech giants, specifically Google and Facebook. Yet the code largely benefits News Corp, aka Murdoch, as he owns 70% of Australia's newsprint readership. To put this into perspective a bit more, Murdoch will be paid by the tech giants to have his stories featured online, whilst the ABC and SBS are banned from gaining any remuneration. Mainly Murdoch will have advanced access to Facebook, Google and YouTube's algorithms and users' private data. This has questionable effects, such as micro-targeting users, creating echo chambers and encouraging agenda setting for online discourse. Mr Rudd started the petition in opposition to the code and broader concerns about Murdoch's power within political and public discourse. The petition aims to ensure a strong, diverse media landscape. More can be read about its purpose and the news media bargaining code from links in the description. So today I'm joined with Mr Kevin Rudd, a former Prime Minister of Australia. Just for those living under a rock or just too young to know, Mr. Rudd is currently the president of the Asia Society Policy Institute in New York. Thank you so much for being here, Mr. Rudd. It's a pleasure and a privilege to say the least. Well, it's great to join you and uh, have you talk with all the good folks who'll be listening in. Yeah, I put it to the Global Questions community to see if they had any burning questions for you. And I think you'll be a bit impressed. Firstly, and importantly, which is your favourite handball move? The COVID smash or the dog shot? through the legs. Dealing with your average high-level male frustration, I think it's more the COVID smash. It has more of an expiation effect. The dog shot is a little sneaky, tends to name dog shots. So I only trade those uh, trade secrets with genuine devotees of the handball game. And do you think your beard helps with the aerodynamics of your handball game? It's true because the updraft is quite important here in terms of shaping the precise trajectory of the ball. And so I've subjected this to a lot of scientific analysis, got a lot of consultancy reports in, and basically it's lifted my game. The extent to which it's lifted my game is an entirely a matter for others to analyse. <laughs> really? Well, I was going to say that if the News Royal Commission could get on the same level as your handball skills, we'd be in luck, but maybe not so much. <laughs> well, we'll see. You know, there are certain analogies in all this, you know, which is uh, a good game of handball depends on a level playing field around a court. We don't have that in terms of Australia's media politics. It depends on having an independent umpire. Well, we don't have that. The Australian uh, Press Council is kind of appeases Murdoch's manipulation of the news. I love it. That's why, that's why we need the Murdoch smash. <laughs> yes. So at the moment, you're essentially going head to head with Murdoch himself. What's kind of given you the courage and motivation for starting this campaign and now the News Royal Commission? Well, look, I've always known Murdoch's a problem and people often criticise me for saying, well, when you were Prime Minister, why did you act? Well, the truth is, back then, prior to 2010, Murdoch was difficult for Australian Labor governments, but not impossible. And if you look at the period prior to 2010, more often than not, he endorsed Conservatives. 
but sometimes uh, he endorsed uh, Labour parties and Labour governments. And at that time, his editorial views didn't dictate the content of all the news coverage. In the period since 2010, it's really entered an entirely different world. If Murdoch was a 6 out of 10 problem for progressive politics prior to 2010, it's become a 9.5 out of 10 problem now. And how do we measure that? Well, it's an objective question. It's not subjective. In the 18 federal and state elections held since 2010, Murdoch has viciously campaigned for the Liberal National Party and against Labor, not just in the editorial position, but in the news coverage. That's not a level playing field. Secondly, if you look at the dynamics of climate change coverage by the Murdoch media in the last decade, it has gone from bad to atrocious. And we still have climate change denialism, reported as if it's just another interesting point of view. So we got to a stage where they just crossed a line probably two or three years ago, but I thought a way to give everyone else a say in open participatory democracy was to open this for the Australian people to put their name to a petition. And why don't you think other public figures haven't joined you strongly? I know Turnbull signed the petition very recently and has shown support here and there, but do you expect more public figures to come out and support? Probably not. Murdoch frightens people. It's just true. It's a culture of fear. And let me explain to you what I mean by that. To quote a British politician, a conservative, in the most recent BBC three-part series on the Murdoch empire, the British conservative politician said, having Murdoch decide that you are an enemy is a bit like having an entire division of the SS dispatched against you in terms of investigative reporting, news reporting, and the rest. They will just make your life an entire misery and they will seek to destroy your reputation and they'll seek to have you out of public life sooner rather than later. And so what has happened is that this culture of fear has become more pervasive and it's not just the political class. If you ask a simple corporate leader today to speak out against Murdoch's bias, you won't find one. If you were to look at the various faculties of journalism across Australia's 43 universities at present and ask which of them has a rigorous independent academic study underway about the patterns of bias in Australian media, virtually none of them. And there's a reason. You know, fear is not irrational. Fear is quite rational. And all of their heads are, you know, displayed on the top of pikes outside the city gates with a little caption underneath saying, beware ye all ye who enter here. (laughs) And Malcolm Turnbull's head is on that pike in terms of the monstrous intervention in the internal affairs of the Liberal Party just a couple of years ago. So to answer your question, people are frightened. Mm. And part of my reason for doing what I'm doing is to cause people to be less frightened. There's strength in numbers. And on top of that, it's a bit like dealing with a schoolyard bully. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So when they take my head off, make sure you run a podcast uh, in memoriam. Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) The thing that kind of started this was the bargaining agreement, right? Morrison and the coalition are known for the coin phrase, like we look after our mates. Do you see the news media bargaining code as a reinforcement of this phrase or more kind of them succumbing to the fear of Murdoch in another sense? The best way to, I think, frame our view of the Murdoch syndicate, I think it's best called a syndicate, is that it's a mutual protection society and it's a protection racket. So what happens in the operationalisation of it, the Liberal National Party are protected from scrutiny of poor public policy decision-making. For example, the fact that Morrison took so long to initiate economic measures to deal with the Australian economic downturn receives zero critical analysis in the Murdoch media. Number two, zero coverage and exposure and analysis of waste and mismanagement. 
take, for example, the amount of money spent on this COVID app. Where is the analysis of that? If I'd done a COVID app, paid X million dollars for it, let me tell you, uh, not just my health minister who would have come up with the idea that I would have been held personally accountable for every person who hasn't been able to successfully use their COVID app. But the third area where it gets really insidious is just corruption. The accusations uh, which now exist coming out of an Auditor General's report about the payment of $30 million of taxpayers' money for a $3 million valued block of land at the Badgerys Creek site to a guy who uh, is reportedly a Liberal Party donor. I mean, this stinks to high heaven. Where do you find this in the Murdoch Daily coverage? Well, you don't. The uh, allegations concerning the provision of uh, funds for this Barrier Reef consultancy a couple of years ago, which runs to hundreds of millions of dollars, no reporting. Where it therefore has an insidious effect on the democracy, you might call it a cancer on the democracy. It's not just because they bash up on the Labour Party and the Green Party and progressives in general, but uh, they actually protect the other side from any level of scrutiny. So what's in for them? Two things. One is ideology, because Murdoch is a deeply far-right ideological creature who uh, hates political progressives with a passion, who believes in absolute tax minimisation to help his bottom line. And then on top of that, deeply ideological on climate change. So it's a combination of ideology and the protection of the business interests, hence tax. And then look at most recently the gift of several tens of millions of dollars by Morrison out of taxpayer money to Fox in Australia to cover women's sport, for God's sake, and to force the ABC to pay Fox for use of women's sport footage. So when I say a mutual protection racket, this is not just hyperbole. These are the evidences of it in the mutuality of the protection racket. And from your experience, as a former Prime Minister, you've had a fair few run-ins. How do they go about legitimising disinformation, as James Murdoch put it recently, in political framing of public figures? Because I know that they twist, they twist topics, yeah. Also, they can get quite personal. Let me give you an example on the disinformation story. This is how it's done. Usually they'll kick it off with a um, Sunday newspaper uh, exclusive story. They run it then in their daily tabloids over several days. And, and then usually they'll bleed it out into the Sky television coverage in Australia and then filter its way into sympathetic uh, right-wing radio networks like the uh, 2GB uh, network, the 3AW network, uh, the 4BC network here in Queensland. So I'll give you a case study of the Kevin Rudd uh, hairdryer incident. The truth is it never happened. There was no hairdryer. I never asked for a hairdryer. The allegation was I was visiting the troops in Afghanistan and, quote, lost it because they couldn't find me a hairdryer to properly blow dry my hair. A total fabrication. It was just made up. There's no basis for it. I don't even remember staying there overnight. I may have. But the bottom line is, if you go to the actual analysis of the story and look at it, these are unspecified, unsourced allegations. And as it was finally unpacked, it, the sources were a couple of visiting Liberal National Party backbenchers to Afghanistan sometime later who heard this from someone in the ADF. And that was it. So therefore, to totally invent a story and then to bleed it out into the general news coverage so that by the time it is finally disproven, it nonetheless has a lingering effect in the public consciousness in their view of me and my integrity. Most recent Queensland elections, only Saturday a few days ago, there's a front page story reporting an allegation from a whistleblower to the Courier-Mail uh, that the Labor Party had been uh, improperly accessing uh, database information from the Queensland electoral roll to send out political information. Front page and then 
screamer about uh, Labor rorting the electoral system. By about five o'clock that day, the Australian Electoral Commission and the Electoral Commission of Queensland formally repudiated the story altogether and said there was nothing improper, uh, let alone unethical or un illegal that the Labor Party had done. And then a minor correction is issued online after the damage is done. That's how they operate. So disinformation has become as much a science uh, for this mob as it has been from the worst Leninist parties in the world. And that's how the cancer and democracy also spreads. They operate as a syndicate and a protection racket. The reason why I'm asking this and trying to help our listeners understand what goes on behind the scenes is because there's a lot of people watching Sky News and they're the only platform I could find that's even saying things like politicians seeking to silence critical voices is nothing new and some of the signatures are fraudulent. Some even gone as far to say the Royal Commission is a personal vendetta. So is there anything in this Royal Commission for you and how do you respond to that broader opposition of your cause? Well, because they operate as a syndicate and a protection racket for one side of politics, it's inevitable that they're going to attack me. And the way in which Sky News operates, I never watch it. They feed out um, lines, key lines and themes to the Liberal Party and National Party network across the country so that that becomes their framing for discussion on the part of their local opinion leaders. So people watching that program might number in the small number of thousands, but we mistake it to say that therefore it's unimportant because it goes directly to their supporter base and their operatives across the country who then take the framing of the question and then uh, work the disinformation lines accordingly. So that's how they operate. Secondly, uh, on the question that they specifically challenge, which is fraudulent signatures on the petition, the petition is run by the Australian Parliament. I deliberately did not put one up there run by KRA precisely to avoid this accusation. So it is run by the Australian Parliament. It's on the House of Representatives site. You have to access this impossible piece of software up there to register your name on the petition. And so if the Parliament subsequently discovers that of those who put their name on the site, there are a number who shouldn't be there, that's a matter for the Parliament, not a matter for me. I ran one on my own site. We'd probably end up with double the number of petitions because A, the technology would be more user-friendly and B, people wouldn't have walked away therefore in frustration and irritation through not being able to get through. As for what's in it for me for having a Royal Commission, I'm not about to be the Royal Commissioner. Guess what? I don't get to ask the questions. That's a matter for an independent Royal Commissioner. And it's pretty rich uh, when the Liberal National Party have established Royal Commissions targeted against each of their political adversaries over time. Uh, I had one uh, targeted against me, the uh, home insulation program, and even their hand-picked royal commissioner had to find in the end that I had nothing to be held responsible for in black and white. That's their conclusion. They did the same with Gillard in relation to their relationship with trade union prior to their entering parliament. And again, they uh, made no adverse finding against her. So the Liberal National Party have used royal commissions repeatedly to smear their political opponents. These have never been attacked by the Murdoch media. They simply lap it up and run it as if every element of it is according to Hoyle. What I've said in the proposed terms of reference for this Royal Commission of Media Diversity is it is, yes, about the Murdoch monopoly, but it is also about the impact on Australian media diversity of Nine's takeover of Fairfax, City Morning Herald and the uh, Melbourne Age. It's also about the decision by Murdoch and others 
to divest from um, Australian Associated Press, one of the few remaining independent news outlets in the country. But just as it's also about uh, the impact of the new global social media titans, uh, Facebook and Google, and just as it's also about the future funding base for the ABC and how that is best legislatively entrenched and protected. So against the, oh, you know, this is all about trying to shut down legitimate criticism of, uh, of the public political process, all pigs might fly. This mob, the Murdoch Mafia, have absolute glass jaws when you turn the blowtorch around and apply it to them. They're used to dishing it out to everybody, except, of course, those under the protection racket. But when it comes to the blowtorch being applied to them, and they run a million miles. That's because ultimately they're a bunch of cowards. Do you love Global Questions? We're a new up-and-coming podcast that is run by young people for young people. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us a lot and it helps us gain the reach that we deserve. Anthony Albanese went on 2GB recently saying, I'm not sure that the position will meet its objectives. And some critics are saying that the Royal Commission probably won't go ahead. Why wouldn't it go ahead or its objectives be met? Well, ultimately, uh, Albo has a responsibility to run the current Parliamentary Labor Party, and there'll be a range of views within the party on that. I think the first question should be put in the first instance to Morrison. Why don't you have a Royal Commission to underpin media diversity? People just assume this question should never be asked. Have we all become so politicised into our thinking and influenced by the prevailing paradigms that we should not ask the Prime Minister of the day why 400,000 plus Australians are out of their screaming mind for wanting and demanding a Royal Commission? As for the Labor Party, I'm sure there'll be a long series of internal debates from the Labor Party about what should be done on the overall question of media diversity. And then thirdly, there's also the question of what state governments do on these matters. Because state governments in the past have also conducted their own royal commissions into aspects of media monopoly. And so I think, as I say in the um, preamble to the petition, it's a matter for all governments concerned about media diversity. In my home state of Queensland, for example, I cannot name a single newspaper here that is not owned by Murdoch in the whole state. Wow. It's just none. Like from Cairns to Coolangatta, every one of them is owned by Murdoch. And as we speak, each one of them running uh, huge um, black and gold advertisements from Palmer, making this um, allegation of an absolute lie that a Labor government would introduce a death tax. Death taxes were abolished in Australia half a century ago. No politician would ever put up their hand to bring in a death tax. And if we were so interested, we've had ample legislative opportunities in the 20 years or so we've been in government out of the last 50 federally. And in the case of Queensland government, 25 of the last 30 years in government, if we wanted to bring in a death tax, let me tell you, there'd be plenty of times to bring it in. Yet what is happening is that the Murdoch Media Monopoly is taking Clive Palmer's money, running ads through all these uh, loss-making newspapers, and running these as page two and three ads in the lead-up to the Queensland state election. And so Murdoch earns money from Palmer. Palmer does the Liberal National Party's and Murdoch's work by perpetrating a lie directly uh, that if you vote for Labor government, you'll end up with a death tax. And then as a consequence, uh, we end up um, with even a deeper cancer on the democracy. Climate change is a really big issue for us. And recently, Media Watch highlighted that not one Murdoch newsprint or online outlet reported the research finding that 50% of the Great Barrier Reef is dead and the cause was undeniable climate change, whilst it was being reported over 700 times around the world in Japan, Europe, you name it. Do you think that the Murdoch Empire's conservatism has had irreversible effects on the climate change debate in Australia? It has a pernicious 
damaging and long-term effect, but nothing in politics is irreversible. I mean, I'm a progressive, and by definition, I choose professionally and personally to remain optimistic about our opportunity for change. Signing a petition is one thing, but also think about how you go about boycotting Murdoch products. Think about the pressures you bring through the banks that you invest in on the financial institutions which service the Murdoch empire. When you've got leading international pension funds, like the Norwegian Pension Fund, Public Investment Fund, declining to invest in future carbon projects, it is not a big leap from there to go to why should you be providing financial services and support to the biggest climate change denialist media organisation in the world? For example, the calling reporting on the Barrier Reef, complete defiance of everything that the CSIRO has concluded. It is proof positive of the fact that we have a structural problem uh, with a climate changing denial media. Again, this has not been ventilated in the, uh, the Murdoch media. So my appeal to young people is sign a petition, really important. Number two, think about boycotting all Murdoch products directly and indirectly. And thirdly, start speaking and agitating with financial institutions to ask whether they provide any loans, uh, any financial services uh, to the Murdoch beast. If you're passionate about climate change, and I am, I mean, I'm the guy who legislated twice to get a carbon price, I mean, to be uh, knocked over by the Conservatives. And then secondly, the fact that we've got a mandatory renewable energy target in Australia of 20% by 2020 is because I legislated for that. A part of the challenge here is to blast out of the way this corrupt media monopoly, which is corrupting Australian politics and not providing a fair go for all sides. If we keep going on this line and say the Royal Commission does go ahead and the agreement is instated, are we at risk of becoming like America in its polarised media landscape or more like China with that heavy concentration of control over outlets? Well, at present, when you've got 70% of the Australian print media in one man's hand and virtually 100% in Queensland, uh, really, you're starting to look at a one-paper state. I say that as opposed to a one-party state but it's a slippery slope here. And secondly, short of that, if you want to have a, a window into the future of what Murdoch wants for Australia, tune into American Fox News just for a couple of days and just see what happens in terms of scientific disinformation and the ultimate politics of climate change denialism. Australia's Rupert Murdoch, through his Fox network in the United States, has become the single most powerful media voice for climate change denial in the United States. It is the entire fabric of Trump's and the far-right Republican Party's media bastion. And so therefore, when I say take on the Murdoch beast, if you're passionate about climate change, do it locally, but understand the role that Murdoch has globally in the world's largest economy and second largest emitter, namely the United States. There you go. Thank you. And last questions. Do you think if the bargaining agreement does go ahead in its current form, it will be likely rolled out across the world because Murdoch does have ownership in the UK and the US? Mm. So what does this change in Australia mean for the rest of the world, essentially? Well, the Australian legislation, because the Morrison government is a puppet of Murdoch, namely one piece of legislation by the Morrison government that Murdoch disapproves of. I can't find one. And so this piece of legislation, while technically recommended by the ACCC, but is subsequently refined by the Morrison government, provides three huge benefits to Murdoch. One, if Google and Facebook carry uh, Murdoch content, quote, their news, it forces Google and Facebook pay money to Murdoch's media empire. Two, uh, it also provides for unspecified access to information within Google and Facebook's algorithms 
to Murdoch. In other words, gives Murdoch much more control and an ability to tailor information to the Australian people. And three, prohibits the ABC from being paid by Google and Facebook for use of their content, thereby further undermining the ABC's funding base in Australia. So bad, bad, bad. Do I have a view about Google and Facebook? Yes, I don't like any sort of monopoly. But when I see a legislative regime which has been ramped up here, uh, which has as its principal beneficiary Murdoch, I get very suspicious. And so I think it's going to be a critical piece of legislation for the Senate to consider and the minor parties because Murdoch's puppet Morrison will do that in the lower house. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Mr. Rudd. It's been a pleasure to hear about your experience and understanding Australia's media landscape and its intersection with politics. It's very valuable insight and I wish you the best of luck. And there's almost 400,000 signatures. We really need your help. So please, friends, family and the rest of you, just get onto it and get into it. That's my objective, to basically say to people, Murdoch, you don't own the country, the people do. Thank you so much. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode from Global Questions, produced by the Young Diplomat Society. And remember to check in weekly for news, expert analysis and global career episodes.